when we get ourselves outside of the state of survival, a couple of things can happen, right? You can be inspired to move forward if you do certain things, or you can feel demotivated and put another external goal in place. If you made a million bucks, right? Oh, well, now I'm gonna shoot for two, right? But it, be it becomes this uh, arbitrary just goal that doesn't really mean much, right? In terms of, of the emotional growth, the, the human side of things. Now, when we turn around and look intrinsically, when we look at, okay, what's inside of us? What do I really want as an individual? And we start looking at impact. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hello, welcome to another episode of the As We Show. Hello, Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, and all of the surrounding states. This is Marcus Maloney, and you are here with the As We Show. And I have our executive director and co-host, Mike Delpreet. How are you doing this morning, Mike? Wonderful, wonderful. All right. Why don't you finish those states? Keep going, um, man. Hit all 50. Oh, no, 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 that's not going to happen. I can't leave everybody out like that. And the, and the capitals. I just tried to hit the Western Sea right, right. a little bit. <laughs> so today, guys, we're in a very, very good mood. We are excited about what's going on here at Azria. And we have a very special guest today, and his name is Rafael Cortez. If you know anything about Rafael, he is a go-getter. He is, I met Rafael years ago at one of Sean Terry's events over in Glendale. And you are up teaching about sales and sitting at the table with the seller and getting them to sign a contract. So we go way back. Mike Raphael goes way back. So, man, welcome to the show. How are you welcome, doing? Welcome. Thank you so, good, so much for having me, guys. I mean, it's an honor. Love it. People love this place. All right. For those that don't know, he is here in the studio from Arizona, not from Arizona, but are you from Arizona? Generally from Yuma, which is three hours south. Okay. West. That's okay. Arizona. That's Arizona. Yeah. 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 Right, right on the edge. Right on the edge. Uh, yep. Awesome. You make we, the we cut. Can go, we can go either way. I mean, we can hit Nevada. We can hit Cali. We can hit Mexico. It's right on the corner. Yep. Right on the edge. So, so tell us, tell us, Rafael, kind of give us your backstory, man. What did you do before real estate? Kind of let us know what that superpower was prior to you getting into real estate? Real estate. Real estate was kind of a beautiful accident for me, really. I began, I became a firefighter in Yuma when I was 19 years old. Wow. I kind of jumped into the whole structured type of, of workplace, right? I mean, the fire department is one of those that demands right. discipline and, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of accountability. Otherwise, I mean, you have, you have big, big problems, right? But I, I, I grew up there, spent a few years during that interim. Uh, I started just coming across people who, I mean, they were my captains and, and they were a lot older than me. A lot of these guys had businesses and, 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 and so those convers I was exposed to those conversations very early on. One of the ideas uh, that kind of, you know, sprouted from that was launching my own business in non-emergency medical transportation. It was just a need. We were in that environment and I, we, we were seeing a need for wheelchair and stretcher patient transport. So it, it's kind of like you know, when you're swimming in a particular pond, you see all the issues yeah. going on with that yeah, pond, right? So, so I got exposed to that. Me and one of, one of the captains at the time, we just kind of decided to 
to to he had another idea for a business. I kind of borrowed that one from him. It was really his idea, and then it just kind of made it real. But fast forward five years, and and we both have the businesses. He has a funeral home, a couple of funeral homes in Yuma. Ruin sold that business, sold it in 2014. Wow. But in the interim, I started with no capital. I mean, I really, I, I was 19, 20, 21 years old. So any any money I would get, I would spend. I would do things a lot different now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was living the life, but I wasn't saving anything, right? So when I went into it. I really had to bootstrap and then just kind of grow the company that way. So it's just the importance of discipline when it came to financials. And I think the biggest lesson from that whole thing was understanding that I can't do it alone, right? You have to be around the right people. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, I would go to people who already had businesses just for advice and, and just kind of put my own mentors together. But that turned out well, and I was able to put some cash together. And uh, being that I wasn't used to having big sums of cash in the bank, you start growing nervous. It's like, man, this is, yeah. I'm going to lose this. <laughs> Something's going to happen. Like it, it's going to fade away. And, and I started looking into the places where I could invest. The only thing I knew, because my background was construction, I did construction growing up, going through high school okay. and college, framing, masonry, and all that stuff. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to flip a house. I'm going to go swing a hammer. And, and uh, the, the business was still running. But I figured I'd buy a house and then flip it and then just figure it out. I, I I had no idea what I was doing, man. It was just, I picked the worst house in Phoenix in the worst neighborhood. I bought the whole thing. I didn't leverage. I mean, I, I made about, I think, honestly, it was just under 2000 bucks after six months of so, so you were in Yuma? Were you living in Yuma and bought in Phoenix? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I skipped a piece. I moved over to Phoenix. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's, let's wrap it up. So you had your, your medical business and a couple of th different things going on yeah. while you were a firefighter. Yeah. Because I know like firefighters, you work like three days. And so we had 24 on, 24 off. Okay. Yeah. So you had a lot of time to kind of grow something. Yeah. I, I started building the, uh, putting the business together, the business plan and all that stuff. Love it. Yeah. So I eventually had to leave the fire department because it was conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the reason mm -hmm. I, I left the okay. firehouse and, and kind of took the leap into, into betting on myself, which Got was nerve-wracking. And you came to Phoenix, yeah. found real estate, and you, you bought a flip. Yeah. 100%. You did everything kind of scenario. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, everything I was doing the cabinets, I was doing the painting, the, oh, the man. yeah, yeah. One of those. So it, it, <laughs> I don't recommend it. Don't do it. But I mean, you just, you just don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. at that, at that in. point in time, my perspective was that like, that was my idea of real estate investments. Mm -hmm. Okay. I go in, I have to fix everything on this house so I can sell it. Got um, it. So how'd well, you find the house? A wholesaler sold it to me. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize like it didn't, this is what's crazy, man. It didn't even register. Right. Like, okay, cool. This guy has a property and I didn't know anything about the MLS. I didn't know anything about mm -hmm. anything in real estate. So he goes like, yeah, I have this, this deal. You can buy it for this much. I'm like, all right, cool. I did a couple of flips like that. And then I finally took a second to look at the settlement statement. Mm -hmm. and, and then I, I, I kept seeing this assignment fee. Right. And and on that the last one, it was like 18,000 bucks. It's like, what's an assignment fee? Like, is that coming out of my pocket? Like, yeah. And 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 they the escrow actually told me that's a fee that you paid the guy to bring you the property. Mm. I'm like, all right, let me let me find out more. <laughs> right. They're making more than me. Yeah, thousand bucks. And they made 15 on the first one. Love it. But, I mean, but I I mean I I didn't let, I did a lot of things wrong. Like I didn't hire. It took way too long to complete the thing. Mm -hmm. So there, I was losing money based on the time that I was keeping mm -hmm. the, the property. So there was a lot of things. In place. So, so this is what I want to do. I want to go back a little bit because you said you had to take that leap from your regular nine to five, being a firefighter yeah. to 
your medical transport business. That's a big leap because yeah. it's a conflict of interest. So it's like, I have to stop this job that I have that's consistent. I know every two weeks I'm going to get paid. I know how much I'm going to get paid every two weeks versus me quitting that and then doing this over here as a leap of faith. I don't know if I'm going to get paid. I don't know the ins and outs or every, anything like that. So kind of walk us through that mindset, because in that frame to where they want to you know, quit their job and go into real estate full time or go into another business full time. What was that thought process at the time? I wish I could tell you it's a very inspirational story. And, and I have the tenacity, the willpower, just the, the mindset out of the box to deal with that kind of stuff. But what really happened was that I put myself in a really, really t- tough spot. And uh, and. I didn't think things through. So if I were to go back and, and start doing things, I wouldn't start with something part-time. At that point in time, I I, uh, I mean, it was almost, it was really an ego play. What happened? They, somebody was telling me, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just something that it, if you're an entrepreneur, it registers differently, right? Yep. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there, man, I feel like I have the capacity. I feel like I have the ability to make something work. Yet, because of politics or, or whatever, it, 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 like they're not allowing me to do it, right? So anyways, it was one of, it was definitely an ego thing that got triggered. And I decided to, you know what, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to take the leap. And once I did, there's no turning, there's no going back. Right. right? I had a great schedule. I mean, every other week, practically had like a four day weekend on Saturdays. And anyways, it was crazy. Good money and all that stuff. But I, I did have that belief in me, right? That I know I can do something bigger, something more. So that kind of pushed me over the over the edge. Now, once it's for me, it was one of those things that I took the leap, and then I kind of grew the wings as I was falling from that. And it panned out, thankfully. There's a lot of better ways to to deal with things like that, right? You can be a little bit more methodical. You can plan things out. You can transition out of a job like that. For example, I could have done a lot of things in the setup process mm-hmm. before actually pulling the trigger and getting clients on board. That would allow me, I don't know, six months of transitioning. Right, right. That one way. And the reason why I bring that up is because I always tell people that adversity is the catalyst to success. Yeah. A lot of times before you hit that level of success, you got to go through those adverse situations because that don't do nothing but build your character along the way. And a lot of people that hit that overnight success that don't go through those adverse times, they don't know how to deal with it Yeah, because success is not easy to deal with. A lot of people see, hey, you know what? This guy, he made it. He's driving this. He has this. But they don't see what led up to that. What yeah. led up to, hey, you eating Taco Bell for the last 10, 15 yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys. Those of you that are listening, you know, when you, when we have people on the podcast, don't look at just the end goal, but yeah. listen to the process, the process that each one of us had to go through. I mean, I had a process. Mike had a process. Raphael, everybody that have some level of success had to go through a process. So I just wanted to share that. And I like uh, the ego part, right? Because I think uh, we, business life is a game. You just got to figure out the rules to that game and play them yeah. whatever mm-hmm. works for you right so <laughs> yours was like hey i'm gonna prove these guys wrong if yeah. that works for you that, do that, it that ended yeah. up being the spark right yeah and and uh, i mean again not necessarily the 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 right way like i wouldn't tell my kids to do that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. never know no i mean i would i would tell them to be a little bit more methodical about it i really just kind of shot from the hip and then i hoped everything would, would turn out right and i was i was younger and and mm-hmm. you know you have you have the the uh, the room right if you're going to make a mistake or, or restart it's like right right Do that's it yeah exactly you have the the runway but um 
but one thing that I that I that I learned through that process is like, I mean, that was my first self awareness conversation with ego, with my ego. It's like, oh shit! I mean, I, I, sorry, excuse my French. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> French. I didn't know that. It's you know, it can help me. Uh, push me through things, right? But it can also be very, very detrimental if I don't keep it in check. Um, mm-hmm. In that case, I mean, I was able to recover and and do the things that now I had to do, right? So all these things going forward, looking for the clarity, the discipline, the tenacity, the thicker skin, they, they weren't necessarily things that I sat down to, okay, I'm going to contemplate and then I'm going to build these things intentionally. I had to build them because I put myself in a survival mode. Does that make mm, sense? Yep, yep. So, so like, really, I mean, I guess it goes back to my ancestors. You know, Cortez showed up and he, he goes, so let's burn the, the ships. Mm, um, yeah. and, and I mean, that's really what I did when it came to, to leaving that blanket and then jumping into this. Because, I mean, it, it, was, it really happened uh, over a period of about a week and a half. So it, it's something that happened really, really quick. Yeah. Fight or flight syndrome. Yeah. Again. Either you're going to stand there and fight or you're going to say, all right, I'm just... Not gonna do this, and I'm gonna do something. So, so let's go here. Then I know we got a lot of your story we got to cover, um, <laughs> but so we're talking about the beginning stages of mm-hmm. what the game you play, the ego, or and all the then you built the tenacity and all that. But now here you are. Fast forward, you're successful, right? You're doing it. You're in the business. There's comfort, right? You have savings. You have property. You have all these things that take away that s- survival mode. Yeah. What's what do you do now? You evolve. Mm-hmm. So, so this is this is a, a very, very. I mean, it was a very important lesson for me. When when I jumped into it head first, I had no clarity. I had no mm-hmm. no defined goals. I just had this gut instinct that I was going to make it work. Mm-hmm. I, I had if you if you ask me about my superpower, it'd be that I'm always going to figure it out. Mm. I, I may not be the smartest guy in the room sometimes. I mean, maybe a day I don't feel like putting 100% in like the cliche does, yep. right? Yep. Uh, and I, I want to take a break. Like maybe the yep. next guy is going to outwork <laughs> me or something, but I'm always going to figure it out. I'm always going to pivot. I'm always going to find a, a way in, right? And and I like I, I relied on that uh, mm. when through this process. So that brought me to a to a need for clarity and and setting up the not necessarily the the future for 10 years ahead or whatnot, but okay, what's the clarity that I need right now? When when you ask me about what do you do now when you get into that space of survival and then you outgrow it, um mm-hmm. instead of looking outwards, and, and this was really a, a clarity session for me. I have mind dump sessions, I call them, but they're they're clarity sessions where I sit just with myself. I have boards all over the place and I just dump everything that's on my mind just to create that level of clarity. And it hit me, right? It's I I keep looking at stuff that's outside of me. When I set up that transportation business, I was chasing the dollar. Mm-hmm. I was I was trying to get out of that survival mode, right? To mm-hmm. create some revenue and this, this and that. When I got into my first flip, it was really out of a space of fear. It wasn't even intentional. Like, I don't want to lose this money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, okay, where's... I started to pick up trends in my own behaviors and that creates a level of clarity, right? That nobody mm-hmm. else is going to give you. So when we get ourselves outside of the state of survival, a couple of things can happen, right? You can be inspired to move forward if you do certain things, or you can feel demotivated and put another external goal mm-hmm. in place. If you made a million bucks, right? Uh, well, now I'm going to shoot for two, right? But it, it becomes this... Um, arbitrary just goal that doesn't really mean much, right? In terms of the emotional growth, the the human side of things. Now, when we turn around and look intrinsically, when we look at, okay, what's inside of us? What do I really want as an individual? And we start looking at impact. 
-hmm. start looking at purpose. We start looking at the change that we can create in our, our environment and then realize that change has ripple effects. You get fueled by something much, much stronger than that external goal, right? That car or that house or that monetary goal that you have. For me, it was, I kept looking at, I kept, look, kept looking back at that kid, 20, 21 years old, who had no idea what business was. And I was running all over the place trying to, you know, find mentors. So right. for me, it was, a, I, just, I grew keen to, to the entrepreneurship spirit. Yeah. And I went through this discovery process and I realized that what, what I want to do is, I fir at first, I thought I wanted to inspire entrepreneurship. I was like, well, you can inspire somebody, but they're going to be de-inspired in three days. Right. Yeah. yeah. Then you can motivate somebody, but motivate takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I, I have to be on top of them to keep motivated. It's like babysitting, right? If it's me, that's in the motivating. But when I look at things from empowerment, if I'm able to empower entrepreneurship, that's a whole different take on things, right? You're giving somebody the ability to self-sustain their dream, create their dream, create their vision. And that's an intrinsic goal. Right. And the financials, the money, the everything that comes in, it's a byproduct of staying in that uh, in that space of truth. The crazy thing is that we can't it's really hard to realize what we want, what we really want from an intrinsic level if we're struggling in a space of survival. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's <clears throat> you're good. All right. So check this out. Seriously. <laughs> so because no, think about the person that's new. You are not. I got to quit my job. I need money. I got to take care of my family. And then you see all these successful entrepreneurs when you hit these levels. Like I recently, really, I could really say found my why, right? Mm -hmm. I always, you always think you know what it is, but you might, but you're never, sometimes you're unsure. Then you really feel it. And I think there's a process you have to, what I'm getting at is like, it's easy for the guru, the successful people to be like, find your why I do this. I work for free. It's just all about impacting, yeah. but you're like, yeah. How do you grasp that? In the beginning, like you said, in survival. So are, do you have anything around that? Because I think if someone's new and they could really trust that feeling of what they're really here for versus the survival, can it work? Yeah. I mean, you can use it as a motivator, right? The thing is, we're dynamic beings. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not the same person I was... Uh, you know, True. psychologically, mm -hmm. I was when in, in my twenties, when I was growing up, right? So my span of vision wasn't where it's at now. Now I can right. see a lot more things, right? I've stood on the shoulders of giants. I've learned a lot from other people. I borrowed perspectives mm -hmm. and, and that just opens my thinking, right? So what we think we want is going to change in three years. The, the idea of purpose it's, uh, we like to see it and give it like this permanence. And it's really not a permanent thing. It evolves along with us, right? My purpose back then was just not to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and that evolved into something else. Like my purpose now is to empower entrepreneurship, right? And that has ripple effects. But I wasn't able to even consider that like, oh yeah, I'll worry about that later. Yeah. It wasn't giving me the fire that it does now. Right. So I, I think you know, creating something or something to aim at. We always have, we got to have something to aim at. If it's an arbitrary goal, if it's something outside of you, if it's a financial goal or whatever it is, right? And still have something because that's going to be your navigator, your beacon. We, we have to be aiming at something. It doesn't have to be a perfect vision. It doesn't have to just know that you're walking the right path and you'll find signals along the way. Um, Love that. And understand that like whatever is driving you, whatever is motivating you right now, it's going to change, right? It's going to evolve because you're going to evolve as a person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's finding the uh, even or why changes. So evolution. <clears throat> so if you are in that survival mode, you have to move forward towards something. The yeah. Trust your gut, go towards it, apply, take action, yeah. fall on your face, hit success, and you will evolve is what we're 
concluding here. Yep. And it'll just get stronger and better, stronger and better. Yeah. We evolve, we grow either through personal knowledge yep. and experiences or borrowed knowledge and experiences. I mean, yeah. that's why the the concept mm-hmm. of masterminds, hanging out with people like you, I mean, coming to the meetups mm-hmm. and just seeing what other people who are not even 10 years ahead, somebody who's two, three steps ahead of you yeah. is going to teach you a lot, right? Yeah, they're going to you know, they're gonna show you not where to not trip. <laughs> you want, you got to be open. Step. You have yeah. to want yeah. to accept those learning lessons yeah and that goes back to that humility e- that e- Cortez. ego's not your amigo man right love it right. all right so, so you, that's good so you messed up on your first flip you lost you made two grand wholesaler made 15 yeah what's next what'd you do after that uh i did another flip and i did a little better wholesaler made 18 and then that's when i realized what wholesaling was uh, and i wasn't pissed off or anything i wasn't like i didn't feel like i was being you know yeah, i got i course. got take you know got right. taken i just didn't know what i didn't know and at that point i was like man i'm in this whole path of discovery it's, so let me actually it looks like an opportunity yeah <laughs> let me ask you this one for you so what mistakes did you make that you made that someone newer can learn from when you did those first two flips because yeah, you don't want to go into a flip knowing that you're going to make two grand. So yeah. I'm pretty sure you were like, okay, these numbers, I should make X, I should make 15, I should make 20 or $30,000, but you ended up making two. What were some of those mistakes? Just a couple of those mistakes that you made. Man, it's almost embarrassing, right? It's super basic stuff now, but I just didn't work the numbers, right? I didn't uh, account for holding cost. And I wasn't leveraged. I didn't have a loan in place, but I still have utilities. I still have things that are holding cost. That was hitting me because I wasn't getting money in from that money that got tied up. Mm -hmm. So not working my numbers right was one of the big things. Not working the, for example, the expenses on the sales side was another big thing. I was budgeting for like, I don't know, 15% of what I ended up paying. It's because I didn't know. Gotcha. So a lot of the basic stuff like that, that I, again, it's like shooting from the hip. All right, I'm figured out. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and as long as I didn't die, I mean, it was going to be okay. Uh, but yeah, so that was just some of the stuff. Another big mistake that I did that I never went back to doing again was do everything myself. Gotcha. Uh, and not just because it's a pain in the butt to be working on the landscape whenever you're listing the property and doing all that stuff, yeah. but not cost effective. Because like, you, you tied up not only your money, but you tied up your time too. My time. So. I was like, man, this thing is ridiculous. How do people survive on real estate? Yeah. And uh I mean, again, it's, there was a lot of things that I didn't know and I wasn't going about the right way of finding out how to solve those problems. Okay. So yeah, we're, we we get into real estate to be investors. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not handy, man. Yeah. Yeah. So so some of those mistakes were you didn't calculate your holding costs. You didn't Mm -hmm. count, calculate your backend sales cost, commission, closing costs, stuff like that. And then your time value of money. I thought it, yeah, exactly. I thought it was saving money by doing things myself. And then I looked at it as like, no, my hourly, like if I were to quantify my hourly earnings based on the time that I was putting on the house, I mean, I was already upside down. Mm. I think it of the highest and best, right? So yeah, that, and then just materials. I mean, so many different things that played into it. The area that I picked was horrible at the time. Okay. So everything from the property analysis and looking at the thing, it seemed like, okay, cool. I have, there's room in there, but you know, there really wasn't. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good point. Okay. So from those two quasi-failed flips, how did you do on the next one? What did you change to make sure that was a success? One thing they drilled into my head at the fire department was adapt and overcome, right? So anytime, since I was 19 years old, anytime I come into an obstacle, it's like, how can I adapt and overcome? We use that saying all the time on the fire ground, like on a fire scene. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I hit that second. It's like, all right, instead of getting pissed off, 
<laughs> and what I don't know, how yeah. can I adapt and overcome? I went and had a conversation with that wholesaler. I was like, bro, tell me more. Like, yeah. what's, I mean, I'm seeing this and I'm not mad. Like, it's not mm-hmm. just, I want to find out what you're doing. Like, I'm wholesaling the property. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. So you had this property, it was yours. And then, and then you sold it to me. I was like, no, no. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. it wasn't even, it wasn't even mine. I sold you the contract. I was like, what? Yeah. And, and then I was like, man, at this point, I'm really, I'm really trying, trying to leave my ego out of it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like you sold me the contract. I'm like, yeah, the, the, the contract. And then that's my profit for it. And then you went on and then you closed on uh, with the seller. So anyways, he gave me a breakdown of the wholesale process. And, and like, it was just mind boggling. Right. Okay. How's, how does this approach, how can I bring that into the stuff that I'm doing? So I started listening to podcasts. The, uh, one of the first ones was Sean Terry. And uh, okay. one of the first, I think that was the second podcast that I listened to. And he ended up being in here in the, in the Valley, right. In Maricopa yeah. County. So I closed, I think it was three deals just by listening to the stuff that he had on there at the time. And I went through the process. I mean, wholesaling was a whole different beast back then. Yeah. And what, what, what time frame was this? I think about six months happened. No, no uh, what year? I'm sorry. Oh, 2012. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Tell, totally different. Beast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. Ago. Early 2012. And so, I mean, like, wow, this is insane. And I was going through the process of, I was considering selling my company and just moving out of the uh, transportation business because it wasn't calling to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I felt like it was just another, okay, I'm going to work. And if you're second, like if you're dragging your butt to work every morning without the attitude, like employees feel it, right, uh, okay. everybody, everybody, it's just, so it, it, there was a red flag for me. I was like, okay, cool. I, I got to do something else. But anyways, a little bit of time went by. I kept doing my thing and Sean sends out an email looking for an acquisitions guy. And at this point, I was in escrow and closing and selling my business. I was like, all right, I'm going to submit. I'm just putting in an application. I'm going to sit in my butt for a while. And if I'm going to go learn this, I want to learn it. From a person that's from, it. Yeah, from the tip of the sword, right? Is that Did I butcher that? Is that how you say it? Beer. Yeah, that one. And I grabbed my son. I was like, this is how you do an interview. And I sat down and I put on a nice shirt. I had like... Sweatpants underneath him with that. Uh-huh. And I took a cool, quick little five minute video and I sent it in. He was getting applications for an acquisitions guy. Six months go by, he calls me. I show up to his office and then hires me on the spot and I start doing acquisitions with him. My idea, and I told him this like when we first met, was I'll probably stick around for about a year. Full transparency. I mean, mm-hmm. I want to get exposed to this. I know how it works. I've closed a few deals. I respect you highly. And, uh, but I mean, I can't yeah. promise you a year. And, and I'll stick to my word. He goes, all right, let's give it a shot. I ended up spending three years there just because I love the culture, the growth, the opportunities that were coming in and, and the space of going up there on, on conferences and speaking. And that's where we met. Yep, yep. Um, so it just opened up a lot of doors. And more importantly, it opened up a whole new world of perspective to me. Okay. Love it, man. So that's, I mean, that's a good strategy. That's a great way to learn is by actually being immersed in what you're trying to learn. So you say, you know what, I'm going to set aside this time. I'm going to go and work with Sean and I'm going to learn exactly what he's doing from him. It's no second guessing. Should I do this? Should I not do this? You can go directly to him and get the answers. And that way it's filling up your toolbox. Cause now you're like, cause I'm pretty sure even now when you go to some transactions, you're like, all right, well, what would Sean do? Or what did he do in this situation? We don't, I mean, I'd go and I was at the, uh, the receiving end of a lot of marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the funnel of the market, there's no way I would have, I would have been able to pay 
for that, for those campaigns, like right. the amount of leads and all the reps that I was able to get. Right. Mm-hmm. So in my head, like, okay, cool. I'm in a, this is the golden spot right here. I'm at the receiving end of all these reps. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm telling you, man, the uh, when I started doing it for real, right? Which was like the second day when I was in trial by fire. I was like, all right, I'm going to send you out to appointments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's give it a shot. Like, how do you feel? Like, oh, I feel good. Let's do it. Let's do it. And anyways, I went out there and a couple of weeks into it, I was like, man, this is what happened my first week. I felt like a gladiator. I came back with six contracts my first wow. week out. Wow. Six contracts. Five of them fell through. Um, <laughs> and, and like, these numbers are all crazy. Like, they're uh-huh. like way, way too high as far as the offers. And I was super uncomfortable having that conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. The real conversation that we need to have as wholesalers to the seller was controlling my conversation. I wasn't, I ended up making the offers that they wanted me to make. It's not going to sell. But one but, of them, but wait, one, one. one thing that you said, Rafi, that's really key is you had six contracts, five of them fell through. Yeah. Most people right there will say, I'm a failure. I yeah. can't do this. I had six opportunities, one out of five. That's horrible. And they'll start beating themselves up in their head, but you decided to keep going. And that thought did come across. And the following week was rough emotionally Mm -hmm. because we went to the Monday meeting. We had Monday meetings and, um, and broke everything down on Monday. Again, I felt great. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, found out that five of them have fallen through. Like they're not, there's no way this thing is going to move. Yeah. Uh, one of them did end up closing. And I think we made like, like 3000 bucks on it or something. Mm-hmm. So it was a really skinny deal, but it was a deal, right? Anyways, like during those days, like those, that short period of seven days, 10 days or whatnot, I was like second guessing myself. I felt, I understood my experience wasn't there, but I felt like I was letting people down. And that's something that weighs on me a lot yeah, more. Yeah. So it was like, okay, you know, what am I cut out for this? And the typical thought process. Now, the thing is not to let yourself be driven by that, right? That's going to cause an emotion within you. And that emotion can be a false belief of what's happening right there at that moment. I went back to the beginnings of the first business. It took me three months to get my first paid client. I was driving around for free people in wheelchairs and stretchers when I was already had overhead because I was trying to land my first contract. So that will build, that build tenacity. And I think, I mean, that's really what it the biggest thing, right? Like it built that sense of this has to get done. Like there's no other way. Like mm-hmm. I'm walking through it. And remember I was sitting outside of, I had a, a real tough appointment. I mean, the lady pretty much told me, she said a lot of mean things <laughs> and, but she wasn't, she was venting with me more than anything. She was going through a lot of personal stuff, personal problems, chaos, turmoil. And I was trying to be as gracious as possible and maxed out. the. You know, I did what I, the best that I could do in the right, position right. that I was at as a wholesaler. Finally, I told her, listen, I don't think I'm going to be able to help you. And being completely honest, right? And then she just went off and lashed. I was an escape for her at that time. Right. She wasn't mad at me. She didn't know me. She knew me for 30, 40 minutes. Mm. Um, She was mad at the situation that she was undergoing at that point, but that hit me. And I drove away. I remember I pulled over outside of Bashes and I was saying, man, I'm going to throw in the towel. And then I started thinking, I've never thrown in the towel after two weeks of doing something ever in my life. Like it's not, it's outside of my character. It's outside of character. Like what, like life will test us, Mm -hmm. right? Who are we really? At that point, I already gone through a bunch of stuff and like, no. So I went back into it doubtfully still with that sense of, of, the need for redemption, right? But it's important to give things time to work themselves out, to work out.
So guys, you all that are out there that are trying to break into the real estate space, just understand what Raphael is saying is not everything is going to happen instantaneously. Yeah, It takes months to close that first transaction or to get that next deal. Sometimes you close that first transaction in the first three weeks and then you don't close anything else for yeah. the next nine months. So don't take it personal. I'm here to tell you and to be a witness that you have to go through these adverse periods before you can truly understand and respect the craft of going out, doing something and accomplishing a dream or a goal that you set out to do. So just wanted to jump in there and say that little tidbit, but what we're going to do, we're going to take a brief break here, word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to dive into a little bit more with Rafael Cortez. Are your real estate dreams on hold with work, kids, everything else going on? Time is limited. Most days you feel like the world's on your shoulders. You might even say to yourself, if I just had someone to lean on and push me in the right direction, I know things would happen quicker. Well, then you need to check out the Deal Finders Club, a community of investors eager to close more deals, sign more contracts, and just get ahead in life. The DFC provides weekly coaching, thriving online community, and all the education you need to be confident. DFC is your fastest path to closing more deals. To learn more, head over to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. DFC.com. All right, guys, we are back with Rafael Cortez and Mike Delpreet. So, Rafael, before we went away, we were talking about your process and everything like that in order to get deals in this market shift right now. What are some of the strategies that people can use, the marketing people can use right now to get deals? Because that's what it's all about. I mean, we can look at KPIs, we can look at all of these cool strategies, but what is actually working right now to get deals? So I've tried, I've tried just about everything under the sun. I mean, mailers, PPC, and I always look at cost effective. Okay, what's more, what's most cost effective? If you have time in your hands, you can put some elbow grease in, right? And really save some money. But as far as tried and tested methods that haven't gone anywhere over the last decade that I've been doing this, have been the number one is cold calling. It, mm-hmm. It's not the sexiest thing, but if you do it right, uh, it's highly, highly effective. So we have, at this point, I have a team of cold callers. And uh, and we'll reach out to to people with a very super simple one page script, one page conversation, right? And this is something that you can do yourself as well if you're just kind of going through the bulk of the data. Mm-hmm. But it's a one page conversation. Basically, what you're looking at is not pre qualifying anybody, running analysis on properties before you've done any of that stuff. But it's gauging for interest. Mm-hmm. You have somebody raise their hand. It's really the main goal of your cold calling efforts when it comes to marketing. What I see a lot of students that, that they've done in the past is they're cold calling, but while they're cold calling, they're running analysis on properties or doing comps and doing mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff for, for something that it's not even going to be an interest. Right. And then what happens is they'll end up waste, you know, wasting 10 hours, eight calling in five or 10 leads. So it's not effective. It's important to just segment it, right? Specifically for the cold calling purposes, this one single page conversation will get you to a lot of places of a good lead flow, right? Which pushes consistency. From that point, you can have pre-qualifying conversations and go deeper into that stuff. But cold calling and understand that it's a tool for sourcing. It's going to be huge. The second one, the second strategy that we're using right now, and we use it as a bolt-on, I relied on this way too much at the beginning of the year. And, and I got I got hit with about a month and a half of no leads because Ooh. I was recovering from it. But it's text messaging. Okay. So text messaging is working well. I mean, we get on average, I have five cold callers. And one lead manager, we get an average anywhere from 80 to 120 leads a week. That Just raising your hand, people raising their hand. Yeah, those are leads. 
And then from that, we usually get about 40, between 40 and 70 that actually make it over. They get pre-qualified based on condition, motivation, timeline, and price. They get pre-qualified and they, they become prospects, mm-hmm. right? Put them into this as so follow-ups or send them over to acquisitions and okay. start talking numbers. But we have this like this conveyor belt process of leads. And you don't have to have a team of the five, 10 people to have these processes in place. It's really, it's a mentality thing. It's a hustle. It's a season. It's not a business strategy. You can hustle through leads and deals all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not sustainable. When you have a, a systematic approach to things, you can you can create this level of consistency. So for us, again, cold calling as far as lead generation works very well. And then combining that with text messaging. We'll text message okay. the same list that we're cold calling. So let me ask you this. So when you're cold calling, what happens when you run out of data to call on? Because so- then... You have five people calling. Those five people are calling probably what burning through 800 numbers a day or something like that. No, the, so let me give you some stats if, sure. if that helps. So the, what I recommend is per seat, if you're doing a full-time cold calling, say that you're doing mm-hmm. the eight hours in full-time cold calling, just account on 10,000 records a month. So 10,000 records a month per seat is going to give you enough volume to shoot at. We use, as far as a dialer, we use ready mode. The deliverability is pretty good. Mm-hmm. They do very well with with the consistency of the numbers as far as being spammed and mm-hmm. they have they have a really good setup. the uh, The dashboard is it's a little I don't know it looks a little old, yeah. but the system itself like it, it works very well. So we get really good uh, and I'm adamant about tracking KPIs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If it's just yourself cold calling, ballpark ten thousand records per month, per seat, right? And what happens is that you'll buy data for the next month. You'll buy another ten thousand records and skip trace those. Next month you do that for six months. And then you come back to the original data. So you need to, mm-hmm. if it's a one person thing, you need about mm-hmm. 60,000 records a year. That's mm-hmm. really like the math as far as how to stay consistent. And we'll take those same ones and then text message those through a launch control. Gotcha. Launch control has, I think we have a 96% deliverability and our response rate on that. It's right around 22 or 23%. So when we send out, and at this point we're sending 2,500 a day out, but you don't have to go that high on numbers. So you have the 10,000 per rep per month, 60,000 for the year. And you said, how many leads were you getting? Did you say 60 to 80? Was it So if you're cold calling and you're, you should be looking at anywhere around two leads a day. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep it to the one agent, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah 10,000 yeah. leads, uh, yeah. records, yeah. skip traced, agent calls, whatever, six to eight hours a day, five days a week ish. Yeah. They should, and they should be pulling in two, two people should raise their hand per day with that rep. Right. Got with it. those reps. And if in launch control on average, I'm sorry, ready mode, they'll route about 400 calls a day. Got so because they're going through mm-hmm. the whole 10,000 records and doing this, but you they'll usually end up routing about 400. You'll get some some that are, don't call me again, right. some wrong number. Depends on the quality of the data, right? But the, usually my team ends up having between 75 to 90 conversations. And then from that, so there, you're ballparking about 10 conversations an hour when you're cold calling. So they get the two leads a day. Then that I'm assuming that goes through your leads manager to sales of yeah. some levels. So how many... For your sales, now let's go into those numbers. So now one agent spits out 10 uh, yeah. raising of hands a week to your sales rep. Then what happens? About 60, I think we're at 62% end up going over to the sales conversation Okay, as far as prospects. And we uh, pre-qualify. So here's like the good thing about having a, a process like that, right? It's understanding that you're pre-qualifying those leads. Like you don't want to run around crazy right. through town if you don't have somebody that's, mm-hmm. that's. I'm not saying the deal is, is done, but motivated. motivated. Yeah. So we pre- pre-qualify based on c- uh, condition, 
the timeline, the motivation and the price condition is, okay, you know, what, can you tell me a little bit of mm -hmm. the property, open-ended questions like that? Mm -hmm. um, and then that's an easy, it's an easy question to answer and get into, right? So it really gives you the opportunity to break the ice, like the, the way that we format our scripts or conversations. The next thing is timeline. Uh, how soon would you like to sell? And if they say ASAP, I mean, you can follow up with, oh, can you tell me a little bit about that, right? So it just turns, it's almost like a transition into that personal motivation. Mm -hmm. So it's not, okay, you met them three minutes ago through phone. Now, you know, you're asking them about their divorce. Right. Yeah. Right. So it just transitions into that. And then of course you, between the uh, reading between the lines and all that stuff, you're looking at innovation and then ballpark on price. Yeah. About 62% of the leads that we generate make it. They have two out of two out of those four. Yep. And now we have something to talk about in acquisitions. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Perfect. Love it. So then 60% get over to acquisitions. Yeah. And then- how many, what's the ratios over there? For deals, I think we are, we used to be lower. We used to be around 30, 30, I think it was 32, 32 to a deal. Now it's a little higher. So we're seeing, I mean, we track those trends as well. I think we're about 48, close to 50, if I recall, right? We actually have a, a team meeting this afternoon. Okay. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's important to have that, that, uh, that process in place. And if you're a one man shop, uh, or one ma'am shop, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it doesn't matter, right? Like you still, you understand what part of the business, what part of the life of that deal you're in, or am I in the sourcing stage and no. the converting stage acquisitions? I think that process <clears throat> clears up a lot for a yeah, lot of people that okay. are un unsure when they're new to wholesaling. So thank you yeah. for hearing that. So where else we want to take with, what else, any questions on that? And that's specifically for Arizona? Yeah. My market is Phoenix. Mainly. Okay. We've, I mean, we've done deals in Florida and, and Texas and Atlanta, that sort of thing. But the the main percentages that I track in my company are those are for Phoenix. Okay. We see similarities though, like with with my students across the board, because we're always tracking KPIs. We have accountability calls and all that. So we'll look at what they're doing. I have throughout the country. I have Florida. I have Cali, and uh, it's interesting. But they'll vary. The counts will vary based on the markets that they're in. Mm -hmm. But the percentages, percentages, yeah, the percentages. I mean, they stay pretty, uh, you know, right. in within the margins. Yeah. Okay. A lot there, man. So if I could sum this up, not sum it all up, we talked a lot about a lot of good things, but going into Sean, working for Sean, I feel like having a coach, mentor, or something along those lines, or working for someone, apprenticeship, whatever it is, you, that definitely beat your learning curve. Oh, I'm telling you, man. He saved me like 10 years of Exactly. <laughs> no, no. I think we all speak on that at some level. I highly push yeah. And I, I did really good with him too. So as far as deal, I, I mean, I broke million dollar marks just myself in wholesale profits wow. every single year that I was there. I actually through the, it was just under three years. And by the end of the, um, they kept growing by the end of the last, I think it was about eight months on that last one, but uh, I was already past the million dollar mark as well. So the, the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, there's inf information is out there, right? Like yeah. the process you can, I mean, there's so many things out there. If you go to YouTube university, you're going to learn a lot of things. Mm -hmm. in, in my opinion, it's like, like just a box of Legos that everything's scrambled up, right? Pieces are there. Just mm -hmm. have to figure out if you go to a company that's already doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to understand the process. So now you have a, a blueprint for that, that Lego oh, set. Yeah. In in my case, we had that. We would go and dissect the deals. Intentional learning after every single one of the deals is huge. And th that's something that I still practice and see where what could we have done better, improvement sessions and that sort of thing. But you have to mix that in with the reps, with repetitions. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much schooling you take, who your mentor is. Mm. If you're not taking the reps, if you're not taking the actions to be be proactive, right? And regardless of what the space of real estate you're in, nothing is going to give. 
Nothing's going to give. You can go to all the seminars you want, but yeah. things are not going to manifest if you're not picking up the phone, if you're not going to the meetups, if you're not making offers, which is more importantly. You know, um, yeah. Number one. Yeah. <clears throat> we track offers. Mm-hmm. Instead of how many calls did you make? You can make 50 calls, yeah. but if you made no offers, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. So that's, yeah, that's the highest income generating activity you could do, man. So as you could hear, there's a lot of information, your wealth of knowledge, wealth of resources. How do we find you? How do we get a hold of you? I know you got a podcast too, which is great. Let us know. Yeah, thank you. I have, I'm pretty active on social media. You can find me on Instagram mm-hmm. at Rafael Cortez, CEO. Facebook too. I have a Facebook group. It's a private group. But if you ask to join, you'll be accepted. And that's mm-hmm. REI Wholesaling. Okay. REI Wholesaling Facebook group. And then, uh, yeah, I'm a YouTube channel. I drop a lot of uh, videos on there as far as, I talk about three things, man. Like it's, it's, it's I'm pretty, mm-hmm. <laughs> even that when I hang out with my friends, like there's three things that you talk about. One of them is real estate. (laughs) The other one is entrepreneurship and the other one is business processes. uh, Yeah. Entrepreneur psychology is is one of them, but but yeah, it's, so you'll find videos in my YouTube channel and my podcast on that. And that's CEO Pulse podcast. Okay. Awesome. All right, guys. So you know where to find Raphael, go to CEO Pulse at YouTube, go to his Instagram. Rafael Cortez, CEO on YouTube. Rafael Cortez, CEO. Tongue Marcus. Come on, man. (laughs) Come on, man. So we'll make sure we have all of that information down in the show notes. So guys, you know what to do. Get out there, take massive action, get out there, meet with Raphael, do what you need to do in order to get out there and close that next deal. So without any further delay, Raphael, thank you so much, man. A wealth of information. We appreciate you being here on the show. Thank you guys for having me, man. It's been a blast. Evolve. Yes. All right, guys. Enjoy your day and look out for us for our next podcast. It drops every Monday. Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Every week. (laughs) Every week. So every every week there's a new episode of the Asria Show dropping. You just stick at week, Marcus. Okay, that's what I'm (laughs) saying. Thanks for listening to the Asria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, Head over to Azria.org and learn more about our community.